It's because you're dumb. <laughs> oh. oh, I think with first cow, I want to. I want to. I talk about. Like, Whoa! The- what? What are well, you doing? Welcome, welcome once again to our Bleep Station. Join us as we rock at the Thousand Spirits. Thank Center. you. There we go. I'm asking that, man. Everyone. Yeah, thank no, you. No, that would be it. News. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't what? think that was going to be it, but that's that's probably going to that be, it, be isn't it. it. Yeah, great. It might be. It might be. Um, Who's to say? <laughs> uh, I think me this time. Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. Hello. How you doing, boy? Hello. We're back. Hello. It's been a little while. We are we we got to we got to stop. Rec- I feel like it's always been a little while every time because we um we're getting pretty comfy it's with this sort of two or three weeks between. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a little while. Yep. yep. Very good. Thank you. Um. So it's been so. <laughs> So since we uploaded the last episode, I think we uploaded I'm the last. La- fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck! This is who I did. I got to be on the best behavior this time. Yeah, um, that's right. <laughs> I'm gonna fucking nail you to the wall. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna have the luxury of beeping out three minutes of conversation like I did last week. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, You're gonna have to know what you want me to cut out. Oh man, it was brutal. Last week's episode was a brutal episode for us to um. Uh, f- for me to be late in editing because it, there was a, there was a reference to the fact that we were recording it on Easter Friday, yep, and then yeah. speculation about the Oscars, yeah, and it was then uploaded like the it doesn't matter. This is yep. so inside baseball; it doesn't matter. But the, the the point is that I was getting increasingly more and more ashamed the more I listened to the episode as I was editing <laughs> yeah. it. So this one's gonna great. Not gonna commit you to this being piping hot, but it would be nice if this would was- it be nice. Would it be nice if this were timely? At least lukewarm. Yeah, okay. Because we're going to be talking about the Oscars. Duly res- noted. <laughs> we're going to be talking about the Oscars results, which mm. have just been announced, like, again, like three days ago as we record this. Did you watch them live? Uh, no, I did not. Oh. <laughs> oh, no, it was on a weekend. Uh, yeah, it was on a weekend. No, I, I think I just, like, refreshed. I just, like, Googled shit. Oscars, like, every half an hour. <laughs> um, you were just looking for your possessions. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, uh, and so, <laughs> uh, and then also the Independent Spirit Awards, which are the cool the indie same fucking results. They were very similar, weren't they? But yes, I mean, I feel were. like uh, in terms of all the nominees, when I was looking through the Independent Spirit Awards, I had seen and was more interested in more of the nominees from the Independent Spirit Awards in comparison to the Oscars. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, that's uh, so. Uh, Trial of the Chicago 7 wasn't nominated for every single category of the Spirit Awards. There you go. At least your boy didn't win, though, so that's good. Yeah, that's right. He uh, fu- <laughs> I think he fucking won, like, nothing. Really? I, I mean, like, maybe not literally nothing, but, like, yeah. Well, we can... Fuck you, so We can go through it. And so I feel like we've got, we've got enough to talk about this. So we're talking about uh, First Cow, a brand new movie we saw in cinemas recently. And we're also going to be touching a bit on uh, Nobody. It's like a Bob Odenkirk action movie. So we've seen a couple of movies in the last couple of weeks, and we've we've got enough to cover that I feel like we don't have to go to Hamill and News. So yeah, that's right. Which we'll, is lucky because we'll I have not the Oscars. Yeah, I have not done any research for yeah. news. Yeah, right. uh, great. Uh, so we should. Oh, we got to. Oh, sorry, we haven't done the news. It's been a very very focused introduction for me. This that's time. Right, I'm sorry. Yeah. Scattered, out of practice, rusty. Ching 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 Beef, beef, beef bulletin. Beef, beef bulletin. Beef bulletin. I feel bad about that. I feel. I do feel like do it properly. Yeah, let's do it properly. Right. 
that's a lot better. We've got the energy up. All right, cool. So the Academy Award results are out. There was a ceremony just last weekend as we record this. It was directed by Steven Soderbergh, filmed at 24 frames a second, which is real fuck. When you do, I do because it looks weird. Uh, you're doing live production. Don't film it at a fucking narrative film frame. Who gives rate. a fuck it about the director weird. of an award ceremony that no one watched and anyway? Also, for the record, uh, my uh, so someone that I know that does lighting and and wants to DP. <laughs> who I was for the record, and they're like very nuanced. Yeah, for the record, I was like, yeah, um, that they they agree with me, and I respect their professional opinion that it was. Uh, did you watch ugly. it live? Yeah, I did the whole thing. Oh yeah. Commercial breaks. Oh and all. my god! That was a wild experience because I never see ads, and I saw a lot of fucking ads. Why that did day. you do that? Yeah, it sucked. But um, the picture profile was really flat. It looked like they hadn't really color graded it. It was like washed out as shit. I think Steven Soderbergh sucks ass. <laughs> yeah, right. There's my Oscars take. Yeah. Anyway, what else happened? Well, they announced few awards. Wasn't paying attention to any of the results. Um, I was just we looking at the ceremony. Go to the bottom of this list. Go to the bottom of uh, the list and work our way up. Just whistle yeah, stop sure. through them. Why not? Um, best visual effects was Tenet. I forgot Tenet even <laughs> came out. L M A O. Best film editing was Sound of Metal. Yeah, that rules. Announced by Riz Ahmed, the protagonist in The Sound of Metal. Fuck yeah! It was like best film editing me. Like best film editing. Whew. <laughs> I say we say this every. Uh, I say this every year. The sound of metal and it's just sound of metal. So whatever. <laughs> we, yeah. we say this every year. Um, I think it's hard to tell if a film has been well edited or not. Yeah. Best costume design and best hairstyling and makeup both went to Mara and his black bottom. Yep, I think that's it. another one that I never even really think about. Mara, it was good fun. Mm. Uh, but again, I, I would have to always be like, yeah, I, I believe you that the costumes were good. Uh, best cinematography was Mank. Mm. I think that's the only one it got. Best production design was Mank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's not the only one it got. Um, I, I'm disappointed with that because it wasn't nominated, but um, I reckon best production design should have been uh, Promising Young Woman. I really liked the prod design on that. I didn't really notice the production design on that. Mm. Interesting. What? Does that mean I'm stupid? Yeah. Best sound is interesting that it went to Sound of Metal. I feel like maybe that's <laughs> nah, the obvious totally pick. deserves it. But also, in the, in the previous years, they, they had best sound mixing and best sound editing. Yeah. And I've never known the difference. And everyone maybe was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> so they just mixed them and they're like, best sound. Literally, yeah. it's sound the best. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that's the first year they've changed it then because there's a best... It's very strange that they is. changed the name of but the thing. But it also... Like, fine. I, I, it probably sucks for sound mixers versus sound editors, but um, whatever. No one else cares about and, the difference uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah, and like, I care. Sound is an incredibly important department. I think this is probably a source of much chagrin in the industry of yeah. people whose work I really appreciate and value. Yeah. Um, I don't care. <laughs> uh, and best sound going to Sound of Metal. Very good because the sound design in that film was amazing. Yeah. Best metal. Sound of Metal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I got one more. The, Pip the predicted <laughs> at the post. Uh, best original song went to a song I haven't heard from a film I haven't seen. Uh, Judas, oh, Judas uh, and the Black Messiah, whatever, Fight for You. Great. All of the music in Judas was great. So. Oh, really cool. Yeah. Best score, and I said this when we read out the nominations. Soul, the Pixar film Soul, mm. with music by Atticus Ross, Trent Reznor, and John Batiste was fucking cool. Yeah, and they read out Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. And John, and John Batiste. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, fucking Mank one, really? And then like. Everyone was like, Soul! Oh, yeah. Right. I don't, yeah, it was wild. Well, anyway, Soul is I don't sick. know why you wouldn't lead with uh, John Batiste. 
Well, because, I mean... This isn't going to make sense to anyone, but trust me. They, it was like a tiny, tiny, tiny micro version of them reading out the yeah. wrong Oscars announcement. Because there oh, were two right. films that Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did the score for. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. One of them had an extra guy, and they didn't lead with the extra yeah. guy. Yeah. Well, anyway. j- the film is about a jazz piano player, and John Batiste is a jazz piano player. So, yeah. like, so he did the all sc- the jazz bits. Yeah, but yeah. it was a really, it was an awesome score, man. We talked about this during the nominations. I bit. think we did, yeah, because ha- half the music was jazz, and half of it was like the synthy sort of stuff that Trent Reznor normally does, and it worked really well to contrast the real world versus the afterlife. Yeah, it was, it was sick. Um, that was one of my, my one of my favorite picks that I'm glad was recognized. Trent Reznor and Atticus are also looking fucking old, though. Yeah, uh, we don't care about the short films. Well, animated feature went to Seoul. Great. Best international feature film is a Danish film that I've never heard of but I hadn't really seen any of these international films anyway mm. adapted screenplay was the father best original screenplay was promising young woman I think that's father, good by the way uh, it's, I think it's in cinemas at the moment I'm super keen yeah I, I heard a, a friend of mine went to see it with a friend of theirs who uh, they didn't know what the film was gonna was about and a friend of mine went I don't with, know what it's about so don't tell me it hit like way too close to home for my friend and their friend that they went to see it with and they say that like fucked them up all weekend because right. it's very, very, very well done, and the subject matter that it grips with, it apparently does in a way that's true to life enough and emotionally distressing enough yeah. that it like it fucked. It said it like fucked their whole weekend. Yeah, great. Yeah, <laughs> <Looking> <laughs> worth watching. Uh, yeah, promising a woman was great. Uh, yeah. Worth worth awarding. Best supporting actress for? Uh, for best original screenplay. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best supporting actress was uh, Yuan Ya Jung. I think it's Yujung Yuan. Eugene yeah. yeah, I remember that Brad. Uh, there was a contention over whether Brad Pitt said the name right or not, and w- no, whatever. he said it right. Yeah, right. And she was like, "I love you." Yeah. Um. Yeah, she was a grandma in Minari. I, yeah, was she good in that? She was great. I reckon. Um. I wish that the uh wife, her daughter from Minari, had yeah. also been nominated for best supporting. There's a little bit of contention around maybe if she was nominated for anything, it should have been like co co lead. Yeah, that's because the, they did that with the. But I don't think so. No, Black they Messiah did both well. best supporting. Oh. So, um, yeah, neither of them were nominated for lead. Weird. But I think she did equally as good a job in that role. Um, I just think she did an amazing performance. So yeah, I just right. To, to to quick quick shout out because I know that she'd uh, she'd really appreciate it. <laughs> anyway, yeah, she the grandma was also yeah. great. So well done, Daniel Kaluuya. Daniel Kaluuya won for best supporting actor in Judas and the Black Messiah. Yep. he's fucking. Awesome. He's great in everything I've seen. He in. did an amazing job. And I think Lakeith Stanfield also did an amazing job in the same film. I think it was between the two of them. I really loved Paul Racy um, as Wasn't Joey he good? Sound of Metal. He was so fucking I, th- I think amazing. he won an acting award at the Independent Spirit Awards. He's yeah, great. I, I I hope he got recognized, but I'm sure also like just being nominated would have been mm. awesome for him. Wasn't he He's fantastic? Got such a sweet story. An actor friend of mine was telling me how like that they were um, listening to what he was saying, but he basically uh, he he had just had like such a rough time of it, and yeah. um, nothing was paying off. And he fucking like finally got some audition, and he was like, he I think he sent I think it was something like he sent his audition tape in for Sound of Metal, and he hadn't heard anything back. And his wife, who's his agent, <laughs> like called him up and was like, "Have you seen his tape?" And they had so many tapes for that role that they they actually called her back and said, "We literally can't even find." his tape <laughs> that's how many tapes we have she was like please find it it's really it's genuinely really <laughs> please good find please it. find it and uh, 10 minutes later after that he got a call back saying like hey we found your tape and watched it the director actually wants to talk to you fuck yeah and he got it 
That's so all. It's, it's, all it's, it's some a, shit about. It's all like, that's going to happen. Your agent's got to call up the people and say, yeah. "My First, client, have a wife that's your agent. My client is good." <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, First, fuck your agent. Probably a lot of probably yeah. <laughs> probably a lot of people would never bother to call again. But also, like, I don't know. I'm assuming there's more to it than that. But the story no, was kind it. of like he um nothing was nothing was really paying off for him, and I think uh yeah, this was like a big fucking moonshot, and um. I hope he gets more work out of man. He was fucking. He was so awesome in that movie. So so soft and sweet. Tender, but in, then also in, there was like a such a, a wonderfully a hardness. hard appearance to yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. He looked like he'd seen. It, he had the the feeling of being a Vietnam War veteran without it ever really being even fucking referenced. Or whatever. I, I think it might have been directly referenced in his character, and maybe yeah. drawing that. I forgot that you but you yeah. saw that movie since we last recorded. Awesome. It's a fucking awesome movie. Hey? Yeah, it's, it's a one banger. of my favorites of the year. Really good. Yeah. yeah. I really liked it. Uh, what else we got? We got uh, best actor was Anthony Hopkins for The Father. Best <laughs> <laughs> that came last, though. We'll talk about that in a little while. <laughs> yeah, that'll be good. Best actress was Frances McDormand in Nomadland. She was very good. She was great. I think the best thing about Norm- Nomadland was probably... Yeah. And I, I hadn't really McDormand. seen... Oh, I've seen a couple of these other performances. Of the other performances, I probably liked hers the most. She was excellent. Carrie Mulligan was also fucking great. Yeah. I think I preferred... I think it's a dramatic performance versus a comedic performance, yeah. but they sort of peaked out at both. Like I think they both did an incredible yeah. job. Yeah. Uh, and then best director, best picture, best director, and best picture both went to Nomadland for Chloe Zhao. Yeah, yeah. Fucking bullshit. She also got. Did she get best editing as well, or was that Sound of Metal? That was Sound, that of, was Sound metal. of Metal. We did a whole. She bit of edited that. Nomadland too. Um, which is interesting because apparently the project was like nearly dead and they'd filmed all yeah. of it. And then like during like COVID happened, she was like, well, I'm not doing the next thing that I was planning on doing. So <laughs> I'll just edit, edit Nomadland. This. Fuck. Yeah. Um, well, I hadn't seen like, I've hadn't <clears> seen like more than half of the best picture uh, nominees, but out of those, I'd probably would have given it to Sound of Metal. I fucking loved Sound of Metal. It was Sound awesome. of Metal was great. Apparently the father well-deserved it. Judas and the Black Messiah well-deserved it. Promising Young Woman, well-deserved. Sound of Metal, well-deserved. Minari would have been a real surprise, and I feel like they were like, we gave it to the Korean one last year. What are you fucking talking <laughs> yeah. about? We're not giving it to this cabbage farming shit. We get to we get to have another 20 years of giving it to white, exactly. no, normal white people movies before exactly. we have to work. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, and they did that. Um, but there were a lot of like good contenders this year. I just would have been genuinely upset if it went to um, Trial of Chicago 7. But I also would have been. Part of me would have loved to have watched the, <laughs> watch watch the, I just the chaos that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Mank. I don't know. A lot Whatever, of people yeah. didn't like that. The, so the funny bit about the award season this year was that so they had a bit of a weird format already because I think it was being filmed in. I mean, you saw it and I didn't, so yeah. maybe you can just talk about it. But it was being presented and filmed in multiple locations for the purposes of COVID restrictions, and they were rotating the people that were in the rooms apparently. Uh, I think maybe you so. didn't see that on screen, but they were like, yeah, it didn't feel like that, but they were definitely like roving around to a couple of different locations. Like they had Brian Cranston, I think it was in the place that they normally host the Oscars, but it was like totally empty. Right. But then they had a bunch of like he walked out of the auditorium into like the foyer, and there were a bunch of like emergency people dressed as like emergency services personnel there, and it's like that's so weird. Did you all turn through costuming and makeup? Like it's it's what so do you mean, dre- fucking like, fake. literally dressed. Yeah, up. like wearing nurses and doctors' outfits and shit. And it was like they and then just they had like a. Doc- I think they might have been, but who knows? Like they had a credit at the end of the ceremony for like wardrobe and makeup and stuff. It's just like stupid shit. Yeah, anyway, right. So whatever. did they? So so when I was following along on Twitter. Yeah, because I was just like, oh, if I'm not watching this. I'm, I don't have four and a half hours to kill. Yeah. Um, 
what it seemed like to me was, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like it became evident that they were leaving Best Actor till last. Yeah, so they uh, they did Best Picture as the third last category. Right. And so everyone was like, what? Best Picture? Like, what the fuck? And then they gave it to Nomadland and everyone was like, oh, uh, cool. Okay. Yeah, I'm happy about that. But um, what wh- are the last two awards? What the fuck? Yeah, and then the last two awards were yeah, um, best was it female lead? And I didn't watch it. I don't lead? know, but I guess, I guess they didn't know. And so everyone on Twitter remember, was the, saying the, the point was yeah, best actor was left until last, and everyone was hypothesizing and like everyone I was watching it with like four people and everyone there was like oh well they're leaving this to last because. It's going to be Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick Boseman's going to be a big emotional moment. His posthumous award, yeah. Right, where he gets a posthumous award for his performance in Marini's Black Bottom. Hollywood loves him. He also did Black Panther and like, It'll yeah. This big it fucking just makes thing. Sense. And clearly, the fucking Academy thought that too, but um, <laughs> he absolutely didn't win. And apparently... No, but they know who won, and who apparently, wins. No, they don't. What do you mean, no, they don't? They, they don't. They so, pick it, cunt. No, the, the Academy votes. Yeah. But there's like the Academy votes, and Price Waterhouse Cooper is a consulting firm manages the Academy voting process. So there's like two guys at PwC that know who the fuck wins the Oscars, and they're both being paid and twelve dollars like an hour. The, it, well, <laughs> oh no, they're being paid a fucking lot more than that. I'll tell you that. There's two very rich people at PwC that right. know the Oscars results. And so, like, the Academy doesn't know and the presenters don't know and shit. PwC was who fucked up when they gave the wrong envelope for... Um, no, that uh, would have been a stage... Like a, like a no, stage no, no, hand. No, no, no. It was... Yeah, it was someone from... Uh, someone from PwC. Anyway, I th- I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, the point is, this has kept... I think it's like... When you think about it like this, it makes sense. No, I, I refuse to believe that they didn't know who won. I reckon the, the Academy doesn't know. They don't know. You just cast your individual So, they vote. just... They picked... It's literally the most... It's the most high-profile awards ceremony in the fucking world. They keep it like a locked vault. Like, the the amount of money riding on this shit is crazy, because you can bet on the Oscars. So you reckon that they picked the order of the awards? Yes. Expecting Chadwick Boseman Hoping that Chadwick Boseman So I know, I, I was, uh, someone was telling me about this. Anthony Hopkins offered to be made available for the award, and they said, no... Uh, because it'll have to be via Zoom, and we don't want any Zoom fuck ups, so don't worry about it. And they didn't expect him to win. And then he so, so for clarity, and then Anthony Hopkins Chad- wins Best Picture, yeah. Best Actor. Chadwick Boseman doesn't Does win, not win shit. And Walking Phoenix is there on stage, opens the envelope as the final award of the whole yeah. night, and it goes, and the award for Best Actor goes to Anthony Hopkins. Anthony in Hopkins, the father. Who isn't here? I'll accept it on his behalf. People, See you later. Credits roll. clap and like five seconds later, credits roll and the ceremony's done. It's very weird. So insanely there's anticlimactic. No, like, <laughs> yeah, there's not like big music. There's not big fanfare. No one's really happy about it because everyone was like, why the fuck was that the last thing? And everyone's just confused yeah. about that. Or they're like, I really thought it was going to be Chadwick Boseman. And yeah, nope. But and, like, And he wasn't online to receive it either. There have been actors that have won award, posthumous awards in the past where they haven't changed the form. Is it just because like Chadwick Boseman is so part of this, he's so part of the cultural, I don't know if zeitgeist is the right word, but like we've just come I off a year. I think they really fucking thought he like, was going to win. We've just come off a year where Black Lives Matters protests yeah. were like one of the biggest cultural yeah. stories of the year. Yeah. And he was kind of a figure of the empowerment of black people yeah. in mainstream media as well. And all the old fucks in 
the academy that watched Wanted the to father cash in on that. were like, huh, that'll be me soon. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Anyway, Insane. It was the most hilariously it was so chaotic shit. Yeah. It was really truly anticlimactic. Was, no, it wasn't last year that the Moonlight shit happened, right? No, it was, it was ago, a right? few years ago. Yeah. Might have been like twenty. But it just feels like, I don't know. The whole thing is such a shit fight to watch, man. Yeah. It's, it's not... It wasn't a fun ceremony. I watched it live and... Um, I, I, I wouldn't even say that at any point I felt excited. <laughs> like, I just... It's No, so, you famously hate the Oscars. I, I, I do, for different reasons, but I still expected to be, like, kind of hyped up about it, but I just wasn't. It sort of sucks. You watch, like... There's like six minute ad breaks between segments, man. Like you just fucking lose your will to live while yeah. you're watching this shit. No, it's brutal. And um and I don't know, it just sucked. Like Yeah. There's no all of the fucking um all of the love is gone from this. And it's like uh, Yeah. I'm sure the people that literally make it and are in the room care about it, but for the general viewing public, they're just like, Yeah, here you fucking go. Here's who won. We showed you. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Um so I don't know. It was just lame. Yeah, I, I, th- I don't know how interesting it is to hear us read out lists, so I'm just going to go through and quickly oh, pick out... I'm going to go through and pick... For the Independent Spirit Awards, which yeah. are the awards that are presented by a different organisation a couple of days before the Oscars, and it focuses a lot more on independently produced films. Um, I'm not going to really read out all of them, because a lot of them are the same. A lot of them are movies we've already talked about. I'm just going to read out the ones that are sort of highlights for me Yeah, personally. go for it. Cool. Uh, so, Riz Ahmed won Best Male Lead for the Independent Spirit Awards. I think he yep. was brilliant in that film. He was uh, good. I'm glad that he got recognised. Carrie Mulligan won for Best Female Lead. Great. I think those Happy are both, both awesome performances. Really good, yeah. Riz Ahmed in The Sound of Metal. If you haven't seen The Sound of Metal, we haven't really talked... Well, we talked about it on the pod a bit, but now that mm. both of us have seen it, it's this uh, this professional musician who is told by his doctor that he is going to go permanently deaf. And most of the film takes place in... It's like half alcoholics, drug, uh, narcotics anonymous, half like deaf education camp. And, and the identity crisis that he goes through and the sort of fish out of water type story that it tells where he's struggling with like who he is as a person and what his like, whole purpose in life is going to be now that he doesn't have his hearing is yeah. so compelling to watch and all the performances are so good. It got heaps of recognition at this ceremony. Paul Racy, who plays like the... The counselor type guy at this facility uh, won for best supporting male. Yeah, he uh, was really good. It also won for best first feature, which I think is a really cool award to that have. That is a great fucking award because I love one of my favorite, most exciting films to watch is was one of those. Was Emma f- up for that one too? I think that so. Was, this was yes. Like her first, right. Oh no, she wasn't. No, which is strange. Mm, but it's it's a few other films I haven't actually heard of. Uh, but. Uh, I love that as an award because it's one of my favorite types of films is films where it's like written by, directed by type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is one of the ones up there um, uh, always, maybe, sometimes, never, maybe, sometimes, always? Yeah, that was best nominated film. for best pick, uh, best feature. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't a, f- I'm a first film. I'm very fucking keen to watch that. I've heard that's been on so many people's best of yeah. lists. And, and All best the- of, uh, best performance yeah, by yeah. female lead as well. All the nominees for Best Picture Man are movies that I fucking either loved or really want to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're fu- it's I'm sick. really keen. Um, Once again, proving Spirit Awards way better than yeah. the Oscars. Again, Nomadland absolutely cleaned up at yeah. this uh, awards ceremony. I think ceremony. it won the big four. It was like Best... Uh, it wasn't Best... Uh, was best Cinematography, Best yep. Editing... Uh, it won. I would give it Cinematography. I don't know if I'd give it Editing. Yeah, Cinematography, I agree with Best Director and Best Feature. I think Nomadland was a weird pick for all those awards. Yeah. I think the cinematography was great. I don't think that anything else about the film really sh- 
hit home for me in a way where I think it deserved all those awards. Frances McDormand gets an award for that. It's like, yeah, she felt like a real person. She's always incredible. And she's always amazing. It's it's, it's <laughs> almost like... Did you like, see her speech, though? No. Oh, Christ. I just saw that she so talked she, about like going to see People don't really know about this, but she has... Um, one of the, uh, people, me. I didn't really know about this, <laughs> but I think I, I don't know. She's not a particularly famous actor because yeah. of this. She's kind of done the Joaquin Phoenix thing, where she's very private and she like has intentionally. I um, like that. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of actors say, uh, if you don't know who I really am, when you see me on screen, you believe my f- performance a lot more because yeah. um, you don't have this like person that you ascribe it to. I'm just a character, so. Um, she has done that. She's really shied away. She hates doing press circuits. She doesn't really do them. I don't think she's given like a public interview in a really long time. So her being up on stage accepting this Oscar was like a pretty fucking big deal. Yeah. And she was so fucking weird. She she like, <laughs> I think she finished off. So she was a producer on Nomadland. And I think yeah. she finished off her speech. So, Chloe Zhao started off when Nomadland won Best Picture and then she handed off to Frances McDormand and Frances McDormand finished off by saying, I'm going to paraphrase it, I'm not going to remember it well, but it was something like, we dedicate this film to our wolf. (laughs) (laughs) She really fucking howled. No. (laughs) And then like a bunch of other people also howled. And then she... What? And so, okay. So, that was... I think that was Best Picture. Right. So she has howled as a closer, and I I think the <laughs> and, and the I best think the, I think next. the next award she wins best actress <laughs> and gives she a was like uh, a woo and she's like I like to thank the Academy yeah it was like Fuck. the best I think she I think she won best actress after that yeah. and I'm pretty sure it was like well the next I I remember her getting up on stage and being like you peaked way too early that's <laughs> you so fucking funny you held on stage you can't come back up and give a normal fucking <laughs> speech it was still super weird like uh, Joaquin Phoenix uh, introduced best picture I think yeah and I remember thinking oh, fuck, like, so weird. it would be funny if he were like last year you you all thought I was weird for talking about milk <laughs> oh yeah This motherfucker's up on stage howling And no one's gonna say anything Cause you all like her And you all think I'm the Joker oh. Yeah Very good stuff Spe- Anyway Fucking weird That's crazy We just Any celebrity that's like I'm staying out of public eye For like 10 years We should Keep them out of public eye Because they've forgotten How to do it Yeah They don't have press training <laughs> Don't let them get up on stage And, and fucking talk in front of 9 million people <laughs> Fuck <laughs> Because they'll just make animal sounds. (laughs) Speaking of milk, do you want to... Speaking of animal sounds. What's your name? King Lou. They call me Cookie. My mother died when I was born. And then my father died. I never stopped moving. It's the getting started that's the puzzle. No way for a poor man to start. You have a cow. First cow in the territory. Same place for cows. No, it's no place for a white man either. I sense opportunity here. So recently, man, we watched First Cow, which is a film that Wikipedia says came out in 2019, and lots of lots of the interviews and things with uh, Kelly Reichardt, the director, are from like 2019. It's taken its fucking sweet time. Making it to Australia. To make it here, yeah. But right, it, it uh, it's in Australia now. 
and I think it's one of the best films I've seen all year. I yeah, fucking yeah. loved this movie. Yeah, it was really, really good. So, uh, I, th- I didn't know anything about the movie going in, and I really enjoyed that experience. So, if you're that sort of nerd that wants to watch the movie and know, know anything about it, I would say that it's a very charming drama that's often quite suspenseful, and it's often uh, very sweet. Yeah. Let me... Okay, so... On Letterboxd, this has... I, I, I respect most people's opinion that I'm following. Yeah. This has five stars, four stars, four and a half stars, four and a half stars, four stars. It's like, this is a great fucking movie. Go I love on. this movie. Go and watch this movie. And we're not going to spoil it by any means, but yeah. I think it's one of those movies that's a lot more fun if you discover what it's about fresh. Yeah, exactly. But if you listen to us talk about it and we sell you on it, you're not, you're not missing out on anything. I just feel like there's a couple of movies where it's like, man, it'd be cool to go this going nothing. This is one of those. Yeah. Um, so, the film is essentially set in the 1820s in America, in like Oregon or something. It's in like a Wild West kind of area in America in the 1820s that's mostly like jungle, uh, forest and woods and stuff. It is in Oregon. Let me read the uh, letterbox No, summary. I think I'm nailing it. <laughs> you are. I feel like you start to read or you start to do your own intro and every time I'm like, let me interrupt with something someone else wrote. Yeah, what the fuck? Sorry. Do you want to keep going? No. Maybe if you keep going and then we can compare. Fact check me. Great. Yeah, yeah cool. Y- you got um, Oregon, right? Yeah, I know. Because I yeah. fucking watched the movie and I loved it. Um, <laughs> they don't say, we're in Oregon territory. No, they, they mentioned it oh, in the movie. Okay. Yeah. yeah well, um, I wasn't paying attention. Idiot. Uh, yeah, so it's, ba- it's about uh, this guy named Cookie, mm. who is a, a cook. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> How am I doing so Fuck far? Fuck you, dude. <laughs> it's, about this guy named, it's about this guy named Cookie and his friend... Oh, I don't remember the name of the friend, but he's this like Chinese oh, guy named fucked, mate. King or something. King Lu. King Lu. Uh, and they live in a little settlement in Oregon that's like way out in the middle of nowhere where they use like shells as currency and shit. Um and it's so far out and it's so remote and it's so poorly developed because it's the 1820s that there is like a rich family on the hill that are the first family in the whole fucking state to be able to afford a cow. And the film kind of opens with this cow coming down the river and being shipped off up to the, the rich family's home. Yeah. And Cookie is this... Uh, professionally trained baker from back in Boston and he realizes that if they had milk he would be able to bake biscuits and cakes that would be very popular because no one else in the colony has access to that kind of food right. and so they go and the whole mo- the wait, most wait, of the so when you say they so cookie and start of king lou yeah and and uh, he doesn't really know this guy king lou but um, at the start of the film, he sort of incidentally runs into yeah. him, and then they form this kind of. Um, he he basically they, they start he, living he together. He's like, "Hey, come back to my place and have a drink." And when they're there, Cookie's like, "Fuck, you ever tried fucking biscuits?" <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so, and this King King Lou's like a bit of an entrepreneur, so he's yeah. the one that's like, "We should monetize this." Yeah, and so and they get Cookie's this like, like, "I can make this shit." They get this BFF relationship, but essentially, a lot of the film revolves around life in this colony and King Lou and Cookie sneaking into the rich family's garden every night and milking this cow at night in secret and stealing the milk, mm. and then going to market in the morning with these freshly baked cakes that have milk as a prime ingredient 
and everyone being like, these cakes are great. What's in them? What's and I'm being them? like, uh, <laughs> it's a secret Chinese recipe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and because they can't reveal, I liked the idea that they can't reveal it's milk because it's so old and it's so long ago and it's so remote that everyone's going to be like, where the fuck did you get the milk cut? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, oh, really? Milk? Wow. Where? <laughs> yeah. Do you make that? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah but it, it's very, it's, there's like, uh, you get a few comedic beats from, oh, yeah. from people being like, what's in this? And they're being like, <gasps> um, <laughs> or oil. I think they call yeah. them oil cakes. Yeah, oil not, cakes. N- yeah. Not like, I suppose you're going to call them milk cake. Good Lord, give me another. I'll give you six ingots for that last one. I taste London in this cake. Well, yeah, and interestingly enough, so I was listening to a um, an interview uh, from the Lincoln Film Center that Chloe Zhao and uh, John Magaro and Ryan Lee gave, who was the director and the two lead actors. You said Chloe Zhao, you're an idiot. Fuck, Chloe Zhao. Kelly Reichardt. Kelly Reichardt, thank you. <laughs> Kelly Reichardt and uh, Ryan Lee and John Magaro gave, who was the director and the two leads. Um, and so this is based on a book. But it sounded like where the way it was based on a book, it was like not really based on the book at all. So, <laughs> no, they've taken yeah, they've taken a lot of liberties from the book. But in the book, they uh, take the oil from beaver glands overseas. It sounds and like so. Yeah. The oil cakes, I think, literally, like they are the the commodity is the oil, right? In the original, it's book. so funny. So the milk and the cow, neither of which are in the original. <laughs> Yeah. Source material, despite this film being all about the cow. First yeah. cow. <laughs> I, I love that. So we both watched that interview. Yeah. I, in that interview, they were talking about the, yeah the, the book that oh, it's based on. A different, better interview. <laughs> they were talking about the book that it's based on and about it being like all about uh, life in the settlement. And then a key plot point of the book is that they sell this beaver oil and take it back to China and sell it as this Chinese medicine in China. And in the movie. King Lu, the Chinese character, is like, you know, this beaver oil is really, it's really, fucking it's really fortune. worth a lot back in China. And they both go, oh, well, pity we can't do that. Yeah. He's, he's like, in the film, he's like, uh, it's way too difficult, though. Anyway, <laughs> time to sell some fucking cakes. Which must be like, they're like, man, we'd love to do something with this book. How do we adapt it? Yeah. It's too difficult to do the China thing with our budget. Let's just say that. Well, in that interview, I think she kind of implied that the author was the one that came up with the milk storyline anyway yeah. so yeah there's been a lot of um a lot of like uh collaboration between the original so jonathan raymond is the guy that wrote the original book yeah. and i think he seems to have collaborated with kelly reichardt on most of yeah, the films they co-wrote the script together right um, so, so this um, film but they have an existing kind of relationship where he seems to write fiction and she seems to adapt it yeah so um, yeah, he's like the, the 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 narrative influence, I guess. Yeah. So, so the film I would say is uh, probably one well, of my favorite got an acting credit in First Cow. So oh damn, really? One of those weird That's supporting cool. characters or something. Yeah. It's probably one of my favorite films of the year. Mm. Uh, it would have been on my list if it had come out in Australia earlier mm. uh, for like favorite films that we watched. Yeah, so um, I missed this at the Myth, but it was screened there last year. Yeah, I remember we, we listened to a, we both listened to a podcast where one of the members of the said, pod had said it was his favorite film of the year. Mm. So I really loved it. And one of the things I liked most about it was Google Total how, Reboot. Yeah. Was how fleshed out uh, and real 
and vibrant the world in the film felt, even though it was such a small-scale, low-budget production. Mm. And I was watching a, a, a video on YouTube that was explaining the editing in the film and how the slow-paced editing adds to the world building and it was something that I'd never thought about and I thought it was mm. really interesting. They were saying the idea that they've dressed the, so a lot of the film is set in the town and the idea that they've dressed the set and populated the town with all these people and all these costumes and all these little things going on in the background and the idea that it's not like the camera is following the main characters. It's that like the main characters more like walk through the town and walk through the frame of the camera. Right. And then the camera ends up lingering before and after the action with the main characters. The camera often lingers on these sort of side extras in the town for a lot longer than they would in a normal movie. And it really sort of gives you the feeling that this it's like a living, breathing world where you'll get these tiny little several frames of insight into what the lives of some random... They're all very distinct-looking characters. Like, there'll be this like, random guy with a dog or a guy with a top hat eating a donut or whatever. Or not, obviously not a donut. The one example I could have picked. <laughs> uh, like, a guy... You a, fucking idiot. A random a guy... A squirrel. Yeah. A random guy eating a squirrel or whatever. Um, and, I, and I'd never thought about it. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly what I loved about it. It's yeah. just the, the slow, very sweet pace of the film and the way that it really engrossed me in it and really sort of got me engaged in the world of the film and really there's a lot of shorthand in the film and the way that it's done and the way the characters are depicted it gives you an immediate sense of who these people are without being too heavy handed about it Mm. like uh, at the beginning of the film Cookie is uh, the cook on an expedition that's trying to get to the town where most of the film is set. Right. And he is not very good at trapping and so he's he's in the wilderness like picking berries. <laughs> picking a lot of mushrooms. A lot of mushrooms. There's a big long mushroom picking scene which I loved. And something about the the, the sounds of the oh, mushrooms that being sound picked. sound was gross. It was awesome. I was like, um, I don't want to eat that shit. I don't <laughs> like mushrooms. All right. Um, but like <laughs> there's, there's a scene where like he catches a lizard that's on its back and he just flips the lizard over and lets it keep going. He's immediately shown to be a, such a wonderfully quiet, observant and compassionate character. And it's like tender kind of guy. He's perfect for the rest of... He's perfect as a protagonist in this film. Yeah. Because the film is also quiet compassionate yeah. and observant. And I, I loved this video that was talking about the idea that For, most sorry, of the... This is probably sorry, driving yep. you fucking crazy, but the video is by Thomas Flight. It's it's called First Cow hyphen How to Edit Gently. You so can, re- you can, remem- you can remember to put that in the description there. Yeah, I will. Um, but uh, I really liked when this, this Thomas Flight video essay guy was talking about the idea that most of the... Most of that violence and the action that you would typically expect from like a because this is kind of an American Western film. It's, it's kind a of a Western film, yeah. Right. In the spirit of Westerns being about living on the frontier and living beyond the laws of common society. Mm. That's kind of what this film is about. Mm. And all of the violence that you would typically see in that film and all of the blokey bloke type energy that you get from that is always cut away from and always happens off camera. So like all of the the rest of the members of Cookie's party at the beginning of the film are six of the most cowboy fucking furry hats yeah. and gun-toting redneck type dudes. Catch a squirrel. Yeah. Suck his dick. You <laughs> <laughs> nailed it. That's what they said. <laughs> yeah, like they're the most like red-blooded males 
Uh, yeah. And but the film, like, without criticizing them, paints them as just being a bit too much. Yeah. And never really focuses on them for very much. And the focus and is it's just very on clear Cookie. that Cookie is like quite uncomfortable with that dynamic and mm. doesn't want to be around them any longer than he has to be. Yeah. And they they're like, You're a shit trapper and he's just like, No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I related yeah. I related to it's Cookie so a lot. Good. It's yeah, so yeah. good. Yeah, you work in a work site. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> speaking as like a, a, a dorky guy with glasses yeah. that works in the construction this industry. Useless. You're like, Moo. I've got a lot of like they make that car for men, mate. Yeah. I've, I've copped that a bit. Yeah. Like, oh, they, really they, good stuff. They probably don't. Uh, You're they, right. They make it for people that are smarter than you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love this pace of the movie. And I think the first half an hour was a bit slow, mm. but it picked up towards... After the first half an hour, yeah, it picked up. It's and also it's very intentionally slow. It's not making an accident with how... Yeah. With how cal- uh, uh, let's, let's, let's use a different word other than slow. Let's say calm. Hmm. It's very calm. You know what? Sure. Agreed. Yeah. But I think only because I think if you're like fuck, this movie was slow. Uh, it's if like this movie was slow. Calm. That would be a bad thing, right? Yeah. But the, the but I think this it's so intentional and it's so like um, tender in the way that it because um, you spend the first like I don't know twenty minutes maybe kind of characterizing John Magaro, Cookie. And then you spend the... I was asking for a cookie. And then you spend like the next most of the film um, characterizing the relationship between him and King Lou, Orion Lee. Yeah. And um, I was asking for an Orion Lee. And... <laughs> and t- <laughs> Playing the long game on that joke. Orion Lee, by the way... Great has name. The cool name. The coolest voice. speaking voice. Oh, such this a motherfucker's voice is honey. Such a comic, like, and a lot, of the, a lot of the film is about the I was, friendship. I'm so glad you brought this up. Right. I was going to bring this up. A lot of the a lot of the <laughs> movie is about the friendship between Cookie and King Lou. That, that, they fucked, right? Uh, maybe. Probably. Because, like, I feel like this is highly open to interpretation in the script. No, I don't, I don't think but so. But for me, I was like, oh, these dudes is gay. No, I think they're and just I, like... And I really want to see them build a little home <laughs> together. I saw them as two outsiders in a... Like, he's this Chinese guy, right. and Cookie's this weird, quiet, not stereotypically very masculine guy. Yeah. In a town, think, in, in, in an area of America where you want to be a white, masculine man to uh, fit yeah. in. I think and I just so, got the most, like... The the, the 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 slightest hint of it being like no, they're, they're not mean. conventional. There's not a conventional relationship between these men. I know what you mean. I could definitely see this is like maybe being pulled up twenty years later as this weird sleeper hit of like quick. If well, you, you told me this it, was like you a know sleeper, what it's queer so hit. subtly reminded me of, and I know that this is fucking wild. Go on. It's so subtly reminded me of Fight Club. Where yeah. where the relationship between Ed Norton and Brad Pitt, especially oh, especially the scene where Ed Norton Ed was Norton's imagining a Chinese guy, <laughs> right? But the scene where Ed Norton's brushing his teeth and Brad Pitt is in the bathtub. Spoiler alert for Fight Club. Mm, brushing his teeth, yeah, <laughs> very good. So like Ed Norton's brushing his teeth and Brad Pitt's in the bathtub. So they're like bathing together, but they're just talking. So like yeah. you're like, is this yeah. like, <laughs> and like. It, that movie is obviously homoerotic, like right. overtly homoerotic. Yeah, I think in that scene, Brad Pitt's like, "I'm wondering if another woman is really what we need." <laughs> so he's like, "Yeah, that's." Or is this, or is this, is this a twist where it's the nineties? So you're like, "Well, they can't be gay." No, I mean, so there well, must be something else going. <laughs> no, I think yeah, Chuck Palahniuk is like making commentary on that, and he's yeah. like twisting the knife on toxic masculinity by making yeah. him like potentially like you know. 
yeah. funny, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but then, like, I don't know. It was. I th- I feel like that scene is a particularly like tender and like close scene in Fight Club and I don't know why but the dynamic of these two guys just like living normally but being very like close sometimes physically close never intimate but physically close I think because just reminded me of that I think because the way these two weirdos like find each other and And they're so sweet to each other yeah um, in such a fucking rough time yeah and and I think it's like these two sweet boys yeah. They find each other and so it's soft like... soft boys. <laughs> they would be... This is the second time I've heard the phrase soft, <laughs> soft boys today <laughs> directed at me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, these, these two sweet soft boys uh, that just... Uh, would they, They'd be so, so lucky to find each other. Yeah. And they stick together like immediately. And I love... So talking about... Uh, Orion. Also, jo- uh, fucking Orion Lee is nude, but naked Fuck when yeah. John first runs into Fuck him. Fuck yeah. Which and might be part I, of I guess there's another reason why I'm a little yeah. like... Oh, this is a gay movie. It's like I'd never. He's, he's, he's like I never thought about it, but now that I'm having a look, yeah. now that I now that I think about it, I did yeah. see John Magaro dick first. Uh, Lee speaking voice is so lovely oh, to hear. We're about. I and got the key, the co- one of the core co- concept, one of the core dynamics of their relationship, is that Orion Lee speaks. All the fucking time. Yeah, he never shuts the fuck up, and it's really good. Yeah, and John Magaro's character says very, very yeah. little. This and movie, this movie is perfectly cast. In in, yeah, perfectly in, with, cast. With any other actors, the, the dynamic would be annoying, and you'd be like, "God, I wish this guy would shut the fuck up." Yeah, but like, because he's he's what he's actually doing is being like a predatory entrepreneur. Because uh, Ryan Lee is the the guy that's like, "Let's fucking sell these cakes, bro." Take what we can when the taking is good. Seems dangerous. So is anything worth doing? A royal cow. And yet she barely produces a thing. Some people can't imagine being stolen from. Let's hope he's one of those. We got a window here, Cookie. History isn't here yet. It's coming, but maybe this time we can take it on our own terms. Yeah. <laughs> Go and steal that fucking milk. And then like they they do. And it's so he he's so like he's always the one musing about how are we gonna make money off this. We only yeah. have a limited window. This is like an evaporating opportunity. He mm. always talks about like it, the, what's the ne- like we have to do this, we have to strike while the iron's hot because this isn't gonna last forever. Yeah. This is going to end. He talks about how this is the first cow. There's going to be more milk cows coming here. And when there's more milk cows, more people are going to be able to do what we can do. And then we're lost. Something this ab- is the f- only time we yeah. have. I love so- something about the urgency of King Lou as a he's character. He's so pensive about it. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a very thoughtful, very slow kind of pensive. Ca- pensive is a good word for his character. But something Thank about you. his urgency. You're welcome. Yeah. yeah. I'll just, if you ever come up with another good word, I'll give you the recognition. I'll let you know. Deserve. Yeah, great. No, shan't, no. shan't though. I'll, Shan't, no, see, nice try, but again, no, I'll I'll let you. Uh, that wasn't yeah. one of them. I wasn't <laughs> submitting that for appraisal. <laughs> appraisal though, good one. Ooh, appraisal's not bad. Ah, you never know when you're gonna nail it. Hey, yeah. Anyway, he's making a lot of icon to me. Boy, just fucking settle out. I'll give you. I'll, I'll give <laughs> you one when you need it. Um, the urgency of Orion Lee's character in contrast. Orion. Now there's a fucking word for you. Yeah, proper noun doesn't count. Um, what? No, oh, no, it is. Scra- Scrabble rules, no, it bitch. Is. Yeah, no, yeah, you're I totally know. right. Yeah. Even in Orion's belt, it is. <laughs> 
What about in Orion's belt? I wasn't talking about the actor. I was hey, talking about hey, the kind of the stars. Hey. I thought that, but I didn't fucking say it because I knew it was dumb. Great. But you said this. What were you saying? I just like... I like how the urgency that this character is trying to drive into Cookie... Um, don't. <laughs> is directly... Contra- it's, it's kind of contradictory to the whole... To Cookie's whole vibe. They're like yeah, this, they're this weird they're odd couple. Yeah. I was going to say it's contradictory to the whole town but the town is very much like living minute to minute living day to day well, you constantly have to be prepared they were talking Orion in that Lee told, talked about this in the interview right, this right is yeah. Say, yeah well shut the fuck up and let me talk about it <laughs> well so, we've both seen it so who cares right, let's right, not talk, let's about talk about it um so someone asked this question Bob about, nobody who cares <laughs> uh someone asked this question about um like i suppose Let's just say preparation for the role. Yeah. And um, uh, 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 Orion Lee and John McGarrow were sort of sent off with this survivalist to like learn how they might have lived in that time. And what Orion's observation of it was, was that you always were busy preparing for things to be ready. Like if you needed to light a fire at any point in time, you needed to have a tinder box full of dry tinder. You needed to and have so already done that. You needed to have that, that tinder done yeah. because if you needed the fire and you hadn't made that preparation you were absolutely fucked so he said you were always busy preparing so that you were ready for anything yeah and that's how the whole town feels there all is always this like it's like a beehive there's this hubbub of activity because everyone is busy selling their shit or building their shit or preparing their shit so that they're ready to do the thing that they need to do next, which is probably one of those three things because that was how life was back then. You just really needed to like, you were constantly preparing for the next thing that would keep you alive. But I love the way how it paints all of this stuff in the film without ever directly explaining it and without ever directly sitting you down and showing you like these sweeping shots of the town in action. It's all these tiny little... sweeping off a doorstep. Yeah, these tiny little vignettes and just like the idea that like... Uh, King Lou has a place in the town and it's this fucking lean-to shack of like bits of corrugated mm. tin and stuff and you're like, fuck, the idea that that's having a place yeah. says so much about how they live their lives already that yeah. like this is this like ramshackle collection of crap is like very proudly like, oh yeah, I've got a, I've got a spot. Yeah, this is such a tender, sweet film. Yeah. Every aspect of it is so highly thought out. Like, the music fits so well. Oh, the music is sick! It's really good. Can I talk for 20 minutes about the music? No, you may not. Oh, the editing man. fits really well. The uh, casting, like we've talked about, is perfect. The writing is so minimal. Just on a, one more note, I know that we've talked heaps about um, Orion Lee and especially his voice, but John Magaro, I've only really seen him in... The big short. He's completely different. And he's so fucking different. He's like this hyped up, stressed out, uh, not frat boy, but like nerd outcast that's managed to make a lot of money with his best bud on the stock. Where is it? This he's this like weird, sweet little like hobo baker kind of guy. Wallflower. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, observationist. It's so fucking good. I actually think he's. An incredible actor. Very similar vibe. Those two, both both these yeah. characters have a very similar shy kind of vibe. They're, he's a soft boy. He's a little yeah. soft boy, and he's never going to be able to get away from that. But yeah. I've seen casting agents use him um, perfectly in two roles, and I feel like he's perfect in The Big Short. And yeah. he's perfect. Because when he tells that guy, he's like, you're an asshole in high school, and you're an asshole now. And yeah. the guy goes... 
Thanks, Charlie. You still yeah. living with your mom? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, he feels like yeah. a guy that's trying to get his fucking hackles up, but he yeah. still lives with his parents, so he doesn't have a leg to stand on. But then he also feels like the type of guy that would have been so out of place in this fucking it's frontier so world. so sick. Because he's such a little poet. He's just so sweet. And, like, I, I think so. They, they talked about this in this interview, but I think there's this illusion that they make that the, the cow was cast because of her eyes. And yeah. kind of so was he. Like, he's got this sweet look to him. Yeah. And he really does. And I think it's just such wonderful cast. The little smiles he gives are so, like, yeah. I mean, he's just busying himself with his little, little tasks. His and voice is perfect, too. He's got such an unassuming little voice. I yeah. love him. I lo- I'm in love with John Magaro and I'm in love with Orion Lee. Both I of watch them are so again. fucking great. My favorite bit about the yeah. score was uh, she, uh, the director in that interview we both watched by the Lincoln Center, uh, she, Kelly Reichardt was talking about the idea that she was, for all of the stuff in the film, she first went to this museum archive that she had access to and mm-hmm. was trying to work out like, what's the most ac- period accurate currency we can get? And what's the most period accurate images what and paintings and sketches we can get of the, the houses and the canoes and shit. And then she said, like, when it got to the music, she um, originally tried to get, like, what kind of music would be period accurate. And she never gave a full answer in that interview, but she was sort of talking mm. about how she was very dissatisfied with how... how The interpretation I got was that she was dissatisfied with the historical aspect and the very dated tone that she got when she was listening to like period accurate music that she was Mm. putting over her shots. And she said it felt like it was a Smithsonian Presents slash Ken Burns Presents First Cow. (laughs) And I really sort of know what she was talking about because... The the score as it is, it's lots of it's this modern folky kind of guy. I don't remember his name, but it's this modern folky kind of guy that's doing a lot of like uh, mandolin instrumentals and harp kind of instrumentals, where it's no instruments that would have existed in the time, no. but it lends this this ethereal, dreamlike, cute kind of quality to the whole film. Yeah, where it kind of feels like you're listening it, to me at least. It felt to me like I was watching this this fable taking place, which helps a lot because I don't think we've mentioned that the film, uh, the first shot in the film, is like a modern day shot. Yeah, it's sort of, of bookends it almost a, a woman with a river and a big fucking modern boat goes down the river with all these cargo containers, like shipping containers on it. And then the dog this woman is with, the dog like digs up these two skeletons that are like lying down hand in hand by the beach, by the river. And then it snap cuts to uh, 180 years ago and Cookie's like picking the mushrooms. Hmm. Um, And so the whole film is contextualized and framed within the context of the film setting really being the modern day. Yeah. And I kind of, it's such a tiny change because it never goes back to the modern day shot ever again. No. But I love the idea it of. It threatens to for a brief second, but it never does. It never does. And I love the idea, I love that as, as like a. Because um, it tells you so much about the skeletons that this, this, this woman uncovers in 2020 or whenever the modern day of the film is. Mm. With like, it's like, he, it, it's like, are we seeing the story? It's sort of, it's sort of implying that you're seeing who these skeletons might have been, or you're going back in time to when these people lived and seeing what they used to live like. Mm. And the fact that it gives it gives me this the it gives the film this sense of impermanence to me. And just the yeah, idea that like yeah. yeah, and just the idea that I mean this may be a spoiler, so I think this is the spoiler warning. But there we go with spoiler warning then, because I want to talk about some cool shit that I liked about the way that the, 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 this is spoiler warning. If you don't want the ending spoiled, see the movie. 
yeah, so the movie the movie opens with this opening shot of this boat going down the river, this modern boat, and the woman has this dog in this modern day opening scene, and the dog uncovers these two skeletons that are sort of holding hands uh, down by the river, these skeletons, and then the, and then it cuts. And it goes straight to like a shot of like Cookie 180 years ago, like picking mushrooms. And it's kind of implied that maybe you're seeing, it's kind of implied to to me straight away that Cookie might be one of these skeletons. Or that at least you're about to see the story of how these skeletons came to be there. Right. You don't know whether Cookie's the person or whatever. You don't know who the fuck this kind of is picking the mushrooms. But it links them subconsciously. Yeah. Uh, So, and, and then so at the very ending of the movie, Again, spoilers. Uh, at the very ending of the movie, Cookie is very gravely injured, and King Lou is like, has grabbed his bag of money. And I love, I-, I love the characterization you get there, where you're worried that King Lou, who's played himself as this like entrepreneurial guy for the whole film, yeah. you're worried that he's going to take the money and run, like the whole way through the film, because he's so he does so much with his eyes. Yeah, and y- you're like, oh, this this dude could very easily still just take the money and run. Right. And I love that he doesn't. Yeah, it's such it's a point so of growth refreshing that he doesn't. That he doesn't. Um, it's so refreshing because I constantly, but you know, you see the A twenty four logo, and yeah. you're like, oh, this shit's gonna be real dark. Yeah, and then yeah, he he doesn't. He it's like a real. It's about the you know. I mean, I think they say this in an interview, but I had the thought at the time too because I'm very clever. <laughs> that like he's actively choosing to remain as this like partnership with his friend, yeah, or lover, who knows. <laughs> uh, Th- rather than select to uh, like escape, ostensibly yeah. with this with the, with like a fucking lot of money, they've sold so many donuts that they reckon they could buy like a fucking hotel in like San Francisco. Like a lot of it's, it's so all, they're yeah. fucking rich, and yeah. he's like, "I'm not leaving my friend behind." Yeah, and it's so nice. Well, the opening that quote that is what they do. The opening quote of the movie is it's like a Walt Whitman quote, yeah. and it's something like, "To birds and nests." To spiders' webs, to man, friendship. Right. It's you are what you create while you're alive. Basically, yeah. you are the friendships that you create while you're alive. Yeah. And I yeah. loved. So I, lo- I love. Great quote. Actually, I forgot that it opened quote. on that, but it yeah. totally does contextualize the whole film. Was like, yeah, these men are. They are their friendship. Yeah. And without it, they're essentially nothing. Because they. Yeah, but yeah. Exactly. With it, they're beautiful. Yeah, it's sick. Yeah, it's lovely. And so the uh, oh, this is such a lovely film. It's so, it's so great. And so the movie finishes with Cookie like so weak that he can't stand because he's hit his head and he's got some crazy he's got some crazy concussion and he's they're on the, they're on the run from these dudes who've just found out they've been stealing milk from them for months mm. and. So tense. It's so tense so because tense. we're saying how sweet and slow this film this is. This movie gets really tense. It's really yeah, lovely. It's really. Compelling and gripping for the whole second half, and um, they take this moment where they're like, "All right, we think we've gotten away." But it's all story. There's no, they're not, they're not forcing you. This film is so good at not forcing you to feel tense with yeah. like the music or the cutting or like showing you the characters' expressions or anything. It's smart it's enough what that you're, you're like, learning about what's yeah. happening on screen. Like characters become aware of certain facts, and you're like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. But the the characters don't react like that, and the music doesn't react like that. It doesn't cut like that. It's yeah. a, you know that's important. Mm. I think it's a, this film is like a, a understated masterclass in script writing. It's yeah. all story and so much of it is like just literally where do they get the milk from and like the more you realize that they're really pushing it with like 
oh, someone's going to figure out where this milk is coming from. Yeah. Like they sell it. Their biggest fan of the donuts they sell is the cunt who owns the cow. Exactly. And like, like there's just so many ways like, where they're really realizes, pushing yeah. their luck. Yeah. A and very powerful you're right. person. It never explains that it trusts you that you're smart enough to figure out like mm. what's going on. Um, I loved the idea. So when they finally, so Cookie's like, oh, right, I need to, I need to chill out. I, I need to sit all so down. He lies down just to, just to, just to chill out, and just to close his eyes for a second. And King Lou looks at the bag of money and puts it behind his head and like lies down next to his mate, and they like fall asleep in the middle of the day on in the woods where they've just been on the run. And then that's where the movie ends. Yeah. But you've been watching this dude with a gun. They don't even know. This dude with a gun has been chasing like them. Following this, them the whole time. Chasing them this whole time. And so then you have no... I'm, I'm really... The t- guy that wanted to buy the oil cake. Yeah. Just let him Which buy was so a brutal. damn oil cake. Yeah, literally though, right? I'm not so sorry for that guy. Yeah. He, I don't think he has a single line in the film. He does, but he's so good. And I feel so sorry for him. Yeah. He's the one of the best like non-verbal supporting actors I've ever fucking he's seen. He's so good. He always gets so cut in line. Never gets to buy his donut. Oh, we've um, all been that guy. Yeah. The last whole the whole five minutes is is King is Cookie and King Lou running away and they think they're away and they're just being safe by running a bit yeah. more. And this guy is like right on their tail the whole time. Yeah. And again, the way it's edited is so good. Yeah. Um and they so King Lou and Cookie just lie down and just go to sleep because they think they're home free and then the movie cuts and you know or you don't know you don't know whether yeah. this guy is about to go there and shoot shoot them both in the head while they sleep mm. you don't know that you're like because they kind of lie down in the position that the skeletons were at the beginning of the film but there's enough doubt for me that I was left there thinking like fuck are they did they just die and we saw their skeletons at the beginning of the film yeah or did they maybe not die and they went on to live the life that they were talking about where they wanted to go and buy a hotel in San Francisco and be best friends for the rest of their lives and Cookie was going to bake cakes for kings and King Lou was going to be this high-flying businessman that he always dreamed of right. and did they then die 20 years later? Yeah. But then you realise the movie's set 100 years from then, 200 years from then, so they're already dead. So mm. it, you, I sort of realised like, oh, it doesn't matter mm. and this weird like impermanence and kind of like the way in which the film was implying that their whole story was irrelevant was kind of like this beautiful commentary on how history can be forgotten and the impermanence of a, of a person's legacy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which I really liked. Yeah. Just the idea that like you've watched the most personal, most intimate, most beautiful depiction of friendship between two people. And then the film ends with like, but it doesn't matter, does it? Yeah. But and like they could, but those could be any two skeletons. Those could be any two skeletons. Those guys are already dead. Because you, feel, I felt dumb as soon as I was like, "Did they just die?" I realized like, well, within the world of the movie, they have already been dead for two hundred years, no matter what. It's also getting at the like the. So I can't, I'm embarrassed to say I can't remember the name of the person that kind of like invented the theoretical way of like cutting two images. It's like the idea of a cut, like yeah. cutting two images together and connecting them by a meaning. Yeah. Because they follow from one another. Yeah. This film like really remembers what that what that means. Yeah. You know, and that, and by putting those two skeletons next to um Cookie pulling a mushroom from the dirt, it really is like subconsciously making you connect those two things and then so the end of the movie it doesn't even have to go back to the two skeletons of the modern day she knows you're smart enough to know like "Ah, yeah that's right you showed me already yeah it's the holding hands that got me with the two guys it was really just literally these two guys like lay down and held hands yeah and then I was like oh I've seen that 
Yeah, that, that exactly. Was it. That was like, it. It's oh, that, like, they got found at the start. And it doesn't tell you that they did. No. No one's like, oh, this was Cookie and fucking King yeah. Lou. But, um, but you think it is, and it's yeah. fine that it is, and it's sad that it is. Yeah, and I mean, ever since... I've watched a few interviews, and every single interview, the director is like... That is them. It's it's them. Right. But like I like my I liked my original reading when I came out of the cinema where it's like, yeah, but it wasn't quite by a riverbank, and like it doesn't That's quite right. like it might. The landscape has changed. I like the idea that it might not be them, yeah. but then it doesn't matter. I liked I, I, I liked the way I tripped in my own mind where I was like, is that them? Is that not them? Yeah. It doesn't matter. The ambiguity's nice. I think it's so ambiguity cool. in these kinds of stories, even if the director comes out and interviews yeah. afterwards and is like, that was them. Yeah. It it's it's not that it's not that it's not them. It's the idea that it's not fucking telling you yeah. that it is. Yeah. I, I, I love I, I think for two reasons. One, because it then makes you think about every skeleton you've ever seen being dug up yeah. and thinking yeah, that was a whole person that had a life that was either like that or totally different yeah. and just as meaningful. Yeah. Because you've seen a skeleton before, but this film does such a good job of like, well, I've actually never seen a real skeleton, but like, <laughs> oh, no, I have. But you've seen like, <laughs> but you've seen like, you know, archaeologically, you've it's, seen skeletons. It's going to change the way I look at shit, this movie. Yeah, like, exactly. just, just, but, but it's just Next time you go to a museum, yeah. you'll think like, oh, these people really lived and yeah. they really formed human connections and they were really like me in a different place at a different time. Yeah, it's wild. The, humani- the humanizing... And just, just right. the idea that it would have been a completely different film if they didn't have frame that, like frame, that. that frame narrative yeah. at the start. Oh, it's so clever. It would still have been great, but it just adds this little bit of yeah. um, contextualization to it that I think is really wonderful. And you feel so smart watching them, watching this kid chase them with a gun and then they lie down and you're like, Cookie died of his wounds, King Lou got shot. And you, you yeah. piece that together and it doesn't have to show you. You feel so yeah. smart that you know... I love a film. It's like exactly. why I like heist movies. You love a film that makes you feel like you're fucking Einstein. Yeah, and you're like, I know what I know what's about to happen, so you don't have to show me. That's like, right. It was like right as right as it was about to be. I was like, oh fuck, I bet I know what's going to happen. The film cut and went to credits. Yeah, it was so good. And it's like, yeah, you know what's going to happen. Yeah, the film. I love films that trust you. I love films yeah. that trust you. I hate what I hate is films that don't trust you. No. If this, uh, yeah. if this film would like cut back to the modern day again and be like, I would have been like, huh, yeah, I know. I yeah. guess these skeletons are nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Clean I, them um, up and build the apartments. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and uh, yeah. like you know, that sounds like the kind of thing I would write. Like a le- <laughs> like a lesser film would do that because yeah. it's trying to push like this fucking capitalist agenda. Yeah. This film has that because it's in, it's in the guy saying, "I think the beavers here are endless. The beavers will last forever." Yeah, and then the, and, the first shot of the film and was these fucking that area has had been, beavers farm to extinction like yeah. it, it doesn't need to it's so subtle it's so it's smart so subtle yeah um yeah this film sings it's sick it's fantastic so strong recommend even if you've had it spoiled for you yeah it's a wonderful we haven't talked about a lot of the scenes that really are, are this film's like bread and butter yeah and i think you should watch it despite what we've talked about even if you haven't seen it because it's it's a lovely experience you just get to be with these men for a couple of absolutely uh, of definitely worth watching really wonderful yeah i i loved this film i loved really first cow it was so good absolutely worth watching like in one word it was such a tender film in yeah. the way that it approached 
the subject matter. I uh, real quick, the way that John Megara interacts with the animals in the film, especially the cow, how he's the only one that respects that the cow has like a consciousness. He's the only one that treats the cow as another character. Yeah. And everyone else treats the cow like property is just fucking wonderful. There's this sense Every of time wonder. he gets close to it yeah. and he's like, Hey, how you doing? I hope you're... Okay. He's like, hey, how you doing? Um, <laughs> and he's just like, he gets I'm, close to it, I'm like, sorry, sorry about, about your husband. husband. Yeah, oh. it's so wonderful. Oh. Also, in real life, that cow had a calf. And named Cookie. Named Cookie, that's right. <laughs> I was tickled to learn that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, such a loving film, such a tense film. Yeah, but it was um, also so tense and it had all yeah. these great action sequences in it. It really And it was, it was like a great Western as well. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people are talking about how tender and loving the film was, but it's also like, I feel like that sounds like it's a code word for slow and boring. Not boring at all. No. I feel like really after tense. you get past the first 20 minutes, it's such an engaging, gripping, cool idea for a story mm. where like so this commodity that we all take for granted these days is so valued that it's worth killing for and yeah, it's worth fair. like dying for and it's worth keeping fuck you have to like keep it like utmost yeah, secrecy. And on, the, on the frontier, like if you were stealing from someone, you wouldn't fucking go through the prison system or even through like a court. They'd just fucking shoot you. They just try to kill them. They'd just murder you. Yeah. So like yeah, it was higher stakes. It was a sick movie. Yeah, uh, really my good. one of my favourite films of the year. I really want to go back and watch it again. Mm. And I just loved everything about it. I love the cinematography. I love the acting. I love the writing. I love the score. Yeah, this was a in in every way a stellar film. Really, really worth it. Yeah, um, I feel like we've really been on a roll. And we mentioned at the start of the episode that we were going to talk about the Bob Odenkirk nobody we action did. movie that we watched a couple of weeks ago. Um, see, we're going to give it a shot about see if we can wrap wrap up this very heartfelt discussion about milk and friendship. Yeah, we might cut this out, so who knows? But um, there's the episode. Nobody is like the the like. I think the almost the exact opposite of First Cow, in that it was like (laughs) this totally emotionless slaughter fest. (laughs) Sorry, it was the second last last second bull. Yeah, last pig. Uh, Yeah, kinda, kinda. Because spoilers. Is he? Yeah, he's fucking spoilers. Oh yeah! Spoiler alert for spoiler nobody. alert for uh, <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert for nobody. It's <laughs> um, gonna be yeah because boom. <laughs> <laughs> so they took maybe twenty bucks and an old watch. Mr. Madsen, would you even take a swing? No. Could have taken her, Dad. Heard you had some excitement last night. I wish they'd have picked my place, you know? Why didn't you take him out? I was just trying to keep the damage to a minimum. Yeah, how's that working out for you? You okay? Because you don't look okay. There's a long dormant piece of me that so very badly wants out. What are you still doing here? Old man. I'm gonna fuck you up. This film was like billed as being the next John Wick, and I think... I didn't realise, it's literally written by the guy that wrote John Wick. Yeah, it's and not even just like... Because I thought it was like produced by, like from the producers of... This is written by the guy who wrote all three John Wick I films. thought it was a blatant rip-off of John Wick, and that the John Wick people just hadn't seen the trailers for yeah, it. And weren't um, like, hold on! Incredibly... 
poor in its concept compared to John R- John Wick. Like we were laughing at the movie. Yeah, it was not good. It was like a bad through. parody. So in in John Wick, I think the thing that the f- the thesis of the film. So the working title for the first John Wick film was Scorn, and that's from the writer. Right. And I think it's funny because I almost feel like the writer misunderstands what his film is about. <laughs> I know how shit that is to say, but like the idea that John Wick is about scorn is not... I don't think that's true at all. No. I think John Wick is about like... It's like grief, you idiot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and like not just grief, but like revenge when revenge in the rare circumstances where you can make... Re- like he managed to, to do the unicorn and... F- make revenge feel justified because mm. revenge almost never feels justified. It's like a lesson that we're taught. It's like a modern day. I feel like in the seventies, eighties, even nineties, revenge was like glorified. And then we had this like turn in the two thousands where people were like revenge is it, we have to subvert now. And all of a sudden like, yeah, revenge is self-destruction. Yeah. And so through the, for like 20 years, revenge is self-destruction. And then in six years earlier than that, John Wick came out and it was like this idea that like revenge, if you get it right, <laughs> can also be fucking awesome. Exactly, if you're <laughs> doing it for the right reasons, revenge can be satisfying. It's yeah. okay to want revenge. Yeah. You do want revenge. You just are supposed to know that it's not right, right? I think so. I suppose the problem with the nobody film was that it was never clear why the characters were motivated to do what they were doing. Yeah. There, so the entire thesis of John not in an emotional way, literally in like a we were watching it, and I asked you, why is he doing this? Why did he punch that yeah, guy? No, why? No like, reason. So John yeah. Wick takes satisfaction in its execution of revenge, and I think this film takes a step back from that and takes satisfaction in the violence. So John Wick is like being satisfied through revenge and that revenge yeah. is achieved through the violence. This film loses that second step of the revenge being justified yeah. and expects you to be satisfied by the raw violence of the thing. Yeah. And it falls, in my opinion, completely fucking flat. This was like a dumb guy... Final Destination film. I almost feel like we missed something, man. So the the whole movie stems off, basically, Bob Odenkirk sees some guys on a bus harassing... No, it doesn't even start that way. So it starts with a home invasion of Bob Odenkirk's house. And these two young Latinx people fucking rob him. And he is like ready. He sneaks up behind one of them. Um, while they're distracted with a uh, golf club and he like is ready for a swing and then he doesn't take the swing and he's like uh stop it <laughs> stop, and he's, and stop he's, beating up my son his teenage kid makes him feel pathetic yeah, they're not like taking the swing like, what the fuck dad <laughs> and then his neighbor's like Fuck! If they were, if I wish my home got invaded, all dude. the neighbors and all I the cops are like, "Wish my home got invaded." I would have loved to like, beat the shit out of someone. Swing at that fucking guy! Yeah. I would have fucking killed that motherfucker. Yeah, you should have killed. If that were my family, I wouldn't have been a huge pussy like you. I would have fucked that guy <laughs> up. And um, yeah. and so he basically spends the entire. And then it gets to this point where, <laughs> that it'll like he'll like be at work and this his family and maybe this is meant to be comedic but it comes across as like un like unaware of itself is this the thing with a gun yeah well you're that but his earlier on how his boss is like hey man i heard about what happened that's pretty rough and he's like yeah it was actually really shit and the 
Goofballs is like, yeah, I bet it was extra shit because you're a huge fucking pussy. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't have been me. I would have killed him. Yeah. <laughs> and it happens like six fucking Everyone's times. Everyone's like, you should have murdered those people. Where man. I was like, oh, this is ironic. This is fucking uh, great. And then no. I, I think it was not fucking ironic. No. And even if it was, it loses its way halfway through. It didn't through. play it properly if right. it was. Because then he goes and like tries to get revenge on these fucking poor Latin ex-people. And he finds the people. And I'm like, those people are the victims of this story. <laughs> 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 like, I know that they were doing the wrong thing in the first place, but they're poor and he does this like vigilante justice thing. And then, like, yeah, he's on this bus on the way home from doing vigilante justice. <laughs> Within and, the first ten minutes of the movie. Right. And, and these, like, people crash their car next to the bus ostensibly they were drink driving which is their only crime and drink driving sucks but it's not worth what's about to happen to them and then they, and they get, get on, on the, the bus, bus and they are unpleasant to a woman sitting on right, a bus they're being like rowdy I would yeah. describe it as they're being rowdy yeah. and so he kills three of them and hospitalizes four or I some thought, shit. I it's thought insane I had, like, what he does. I thought I'd missed something. I thought no. that maybe they were the mafia people that were motivating the house no. in a home invasion yeah, or no. whatever. No, and they I, were completely unrelated. Exactly. And then all of the point plots of the rest of the movie is these mafiosi dudes who hunt Bob Odenkirk down because the dudes he beat up on the bus were like their sons He or like whatever. vegetated one of them. Yeah. And one of them was like, yeah, the, the younger brother of, again... Russian bad guys, which is entirely meant to be the fact that they're Russian is literally and I, like I don't I'm not throwing this term around lightly. It's literally racist yeah. because they use this term of like Russian as just not this term like they characterize them as being Russian in order to to use it as shorthand for being bad guys. Well, they say they're that like, they're the they're, Russian mob, but they didn't need to be Russian. No, like, exactly. So they're just like, yeah, yeah, they've got an accent. They've got the bad accent. Yeah. It's like, if this were based in 2000, they would have been fucking Middle Eastern. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, they just, uh, that's the bad guy of the moment. Yeah. And so that's why they're that. It's and so it insane sucks. that they're Russian, though, because like, this could have been well, it's, like yeah, it's 40 years thing. ago. Like, yeah. Even in John Wick, like, they cast the Swedish guys as Russian mob boss. Like, John Wick falls foul of this, too. Yeah. They're just using it as shorthand, and I think it fucking sucks. Anyway. But so much of the movie doesn't make sense, because, like, he's then, like... He I'm is. Like, this is your fault. Yeah, because he's, All like... All of this. He's trying even, to, like... They didn't even... They didn't kill your dog. Yeah. You know? They didn't do anything to you. But he's, like, playing, like, the self-defense, like, oh, leave me alone. I'm just trying to live my life. It's like, you beat their fucking... You killed... You beat their brother up, yeah. bro. It's your fault. Yeah. And, and like, both of them then escalate from there. Yeah. But the fact is, like, he did the first thing. And so this, this like, lust for violence is just completely unsympathizable. Yeah. Whereas in John Wick, everything he does, I'm like, yeah, that's really fucked. Yeah. But they absolutely murdered that beagle and so I'm <laughs> all for this. Yeah. And, and it just has none of that. It's weird because even then in John Wick it's obviously a disproportionate response. I mean kind of but then they're trying to kill him so it yeah. always still feels like it self-defense. It plays up and up and up. Yeah but we're exactly. We're in this, this is like he's just setting up like entrapment for these fucking people yeah, where he's like coming to my bullet farm. It's like at a ground level it doesn't make any sense, no. and then like, yeah, just just it's the way it, the way it, the way it plays, then up and up and up and up from there makes no sense. Like the thing, yeah. the thing with the uh, what he does with his place of employment, right? Doesn't he make buys any a se- factory and sets it like the violent home alone. So like the yeah like but like for no other reason other than it. to destroy it it yeah, doesn't make exactly. any sense and so like he, he it's just that this felt like a dumb guy movie where the 
guy the the guy writing and again the same dude as John Wick so I don't know what I don't happened. believe that John Wick must have been it, like co-written or some yeah. shit <laughs> but so th- this feels like this guy was like fuck it'd be cool if I got to kill people it'd be so cool imagine if you could just do whatever you I'd want love imagine if you were a cool government agent guy who'd retired but he was so good at his job like imagine if you were John Wick <laughs> but you were but you used to work for the government so you're allowed to just kill and people so you could you could just kill people and it's yeah. cool and then imagine if people tried to hurt you and your family so you had to go like full sicko mode on them and you had to fight them but you fucking killed them all and it was the, so cool the movie starts I mean it's, it's like I'm, I'm like not really hamming that up that's how yeah. this movie feels uh, this is a bit of, this is a spoiler. It's like a high school yeah. teen dumb guy movie. This is a spoiler, but I don't think it's worth this movie's worth your while. No, so I skip, don't like, go and see this. Skip movie. a minute this or two if you. Stupid. Yeah, I mean, you can you can do two spoiler warnings. Skip sure. a minute or two if you don't want to hear this bit. But like, the movie starts and finishes with him in, a, in an interrogation room with the cops, and it kind of, it's kind of impl- and he's like smoking a cigarette for no yeah. other reason than because it looks it's cool. Really cool. I mean, let's get this on the record. Absolutely, smoking is cool. But honestly, the truest thing in the film. <laughs> The most but sympathetic like, thing in the film. Is it's so dumb that you really never see him cool. smoke any other point in the film. Yeah. So it's literally that the character is smoking because cinematically it looks cool. Yeah. And he's got this cat for no other reason than like, wouldn't it be funny if he had well, a cat? Like John Wick used to... So the point of... Like one of the other things that's sick about John Wick... he gets away Wick, with it. Yeah. The end of the movie right. is that he gets away with it because he used to be a cop. Yeah. Exactly. And so, like, that's what in I was going to say. In 2021. So in John Wick, like, he smashes... <laughs> the, one of the first things that happens is there's this simultaneous cut between... Um, I can't remember his name, but the, the, the main... The dad of the... The dad of Theon Greyjoy. Yeah. Who's, like... Um, it's not about what you did. It's about who you did it to. And he's, like, basically kissing his son goodbye because he's, like... Yeah. I'm probably going to die defending you because he's going to fucking kill you. Yeah. And I have to defend you because you're my son, but you're such a fucking idiot that you did this. You've just committed suicide, basically. I, and I love the and world And it's cutting building. between that and John smashing a hole in his basement floor, digging up concrete to reveal this, like, treasure trove of, like, Guns and these fucking silver, yeah. like gold coins and shit. Yeah, and then and, and so you're thinking like, God, there's this whole fucking world that this guy's a part of that's so, so different from what and and it gives you. Uh, we talked about this when we talked about John Wick. I love the law behind it that it makes you feel like anyone could be one of these people. And there's this underworld, like the Continental. You could walk into it and it seems like a normal hotel, but if you give them yeah. one of these gold coins, they're like, sure, you can stay here forever. And there's no, none of that law in this movie, right? But the lore is he's CIA, which is a real fucking thing that seriously sucks. And his dad's ex-FBI, which is another three-letter agency that seriously sucks. Yeah. So I'm not like, oh, cool. I'm like, oh, you A, that's not what the CIA and FBI is like. You're all dumb fucking bureaucrats and he starts with like impersonating an agent take over fucking South America and failed like 60 <laughs> fucking times cause you all suck and B that's a real thing so you can't tell me what it's like yeah it's such it dumb sucks. guy shit it's like the CIA and FBI are cool. As you said, like in 2021, no, they're fucking not. Yeah. We figured out that they're not cool anymore. The idea, but also the idea that a cop gets away with murder. It's really tone deaf. It's so it's stupid. It's so fucking tone deaf. This is such a tone deaf movie. You know the worst is, bit? I, that's I reckon we're like nearly done about uh, yeah. it. But it's, this, is such, this was such a... So stupid. So It was literally really like, wouldn't it be actually. cool if the movie... Yeah. One of the, the neighbor being like, 
I fucking wish my home had been invaded, dude. He's like literally saying that. I'm yeah. not, and it's not played for laughs where he's like, fuck, it would have been cool. If it's played for laughs, it's so subtle I missed it. And I was yeah. looking for this film, yeah. desperately wanting this film to, to be like ironic. Tongue in cheek kind of It's Bob yeah. fucking Odenkirk. He's like it's a guy that plays Saul in Better Call Saul, if you're not familiar by name. He's a comedy actor. I thought this is gonna be like nice guys. Yeah. I thought this was gonna be a great fucking comedic play. Because there's so much comedic potential in John Wick. And they don't really utilize it. It's funny, very very right. wryly funny. And so you feel like, oh, Bob, Bob Odenkirk, right. written by the guy that wrote John That's Wick. Great You're like, casting. Awesome. But it feels like this was financed by people. It feels like Bob Odenkirk produced this movie because he wanted to play that type of character. Like, this he was is like a- if Jason Bourne was a 2 out of 10 movie. Yeah. He was talking about how, like, oh, I feel like in the last five years, we've stopped seeing, like, we've stopped seeing the main characters in action movies, like, you know, get hurt and be, like, be mortal and be woundable and, like, you know, be vincible and stuff. And I was like, you were written by the same guy as John Wick. Like, John Wick, the point of it is that he gets fucking stabbed and shit, and yeah. doctors are telling him, like, you're gonna fucking die. Yeah. Stop, this will keep you alive for, like, two days, but you're still really fucked. The thing where Bob Odenkirk's character oh, got his God ass kicked damn. in a lot of the fight scenes is actually one of the things I did thought was cool about the movie. It, it is But it didn't cool. make sense within the context of Anything else Exactly. In the and then he's just immediately fine. The weird thing about how he has this black brother, that, like, yeah. The, um, the insane scientist from Back to the Future co raised. Yeah. With Doc, Doc Brown is just randomly in it. What the fuck is. Yeah. Happening yeah. in yeah. this movie. There's literally like there's literally like him looking at a photo of my brother being like, Oh yeah, there's my black brother, and then the guy shows up at the end of the movie. It's so stupid. Yeah. It's, it's like dumb. it's the it's the biggest like Chapo Trap House. Like I feel like Felix from Chapo Trap House, and I know <laughs> you don't get this no. reference, but I feel like Felix from Chapo Trap House was like like m- like manifested this story by being like, yeah. What if you're cool black brother and your cool dad <laughs> who used to be in the FBI <laughs> got back together so that you could kill 200 people because yeah. you used to be in the CIA. Do you want to tell you one that's final... That's literally what happened. Do you want to tell you one final thing about this movie that's going to melt your brain? I, y- yeah. The director of the movie is Russian. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah. Like, what the yeah. fuck? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the director of the movie, his yeah. name is Ilya Viktorovich Nashula, Russian yeah. musician and filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. You say you sound resigned. Uh, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. This movie's really sucked. The it one, wasn't even entertaining uh, enough to go and see it as a joke. I just no. thought it was boring. I thought this movie would be fun to go and see with a crew of people. Like, in the same way as yeah. we went to go and see King Kong vs. Godzilla, and yeah. we got a bit tipsy and watched it and had fun with it. Yeah, that's what I hoped. I think I had, like, three wines before I went into <laughs> this fucking movie, man. Like, it wasn't good. It just isn't worth your time. I would watch... What was that movie we watched with Pat? King Kong vs. Godzilla. No, no. Oh, um, like on Netflix. Like, Kung Pao? Yeah. Is it Kung Pao? Yeah. yeah, that's fucking funny. And it's, like... Overly violent. Yeah. This movie is like realistically overly violent, but even if you're watching it for like the kills, yeah. it wasn't worth it because I still like I'm gonna. Go- I almost bought John Wick two and three 
as a way of like making up for this film. Because <laughs> I was like, you remember how John Wick 3 starts yeah. In, yeah. A, in a knife shop? <laughs> That's so sick. I want to fucking watch that movie again. All this movie did was make me want to go and watch John Wick 2 and 3. And we again. didn't even really like, I think one of the, the John Wick 3, we didn't even really like that much. I don't think so, because I think it just didn't yeah. really land. But like, the even the kills are better, because I <laughs> liked the character of John Wick. Fuck. It just reinforces to me that you can't get away with no character in these movies. Yeah. You can't get away with it anymore. You could get away with it in the fucking early 2000s, or even in the mid like 2010 was the last time you could put out a fucking movie where your action hero was totally hollow. The biggest, the biggest bit for me in this movie, man, was literally why he kill those guys on the bus. Like, yeah, if it yeah, had explained, you, have, you gotta have sympathy. If man. it had explained, Tom that, Cruise is a more likable protagonist in Mission Impossible than yeah. Bob Odenkirk is in this, film. which is insane. If they had just explained why he killed the kill those guys on the bus. This whole movie, I think, Even would have been fine. If they made those guys more villainous, like if they'd actually done something, if it, if they'd actually felt like they could push it and make them like, not that I want to make a woman character have to go through this, but like, if they'd made them really assault the woman on the bus, so yeah. that he had had to intervene yeah. or something, but he just does this fucking preemptive strike, and they're like, yeah, that was justified. I know like, it fucking wasn't. Yeah. Like if those guys had been the guys that the home invasion, or if those guys had killed his dog, oh they wait, could that's have really John, skipped the bad John guy. Mexicans. Yeah, exactly. If those yeah. guys had done the home invasion, it would have been yeah. like, this is literally just John Wick and I can get behind yeah. it. Yeah, that's, it sucked. That's the, uh, watch no- Dumb movie. Don't, don't watch nobody. Don't watch nobody. Watch First Cow. Exactly. It's a sick movie. You got a better I- than worse than for First Cow? Oh, I've got one that I'm not going to give... A, I actually don't have a better than worse than. I'm going to break, break stride. Brilliant. But I will say, this movie, First Cow, fuck nobody, don't go see that film. I'm not going to talk about that. Better than nobody. <laughs> Definitely better than a movie. Okay. A, a film that I loved nearly as much, and I think if you liked First Cow, you should go and watch this movie. Yeah. I'm talking to you, Oscar, but I'm also talking to audience members. Yeah. Uh, Ghost Story. Also an A24 yeah, film. Saying. Also in a 4 by 3 aspect ratio. Brilliant. Um, also really softly edited. It sucks that it's got Casey Affleck in it because he's not a nice person. But if it's any consolation, for most of the film, he's wearing a bed sheet over his head <laughs> and you can just pretend it's someone else. You can pretend it's Ben Affleck. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's better. But yeah, I think it might be a bit of a fucked up family, man. But yeah, um, you can pretend it's... Uh, uh, pretend it's that kid from the sixth sense, but growing up. Uh, yeah. Um, then you got a bit of like a relationship. I was going to say Keanu Reeves, but Haley Joel Osment. Pret- pretend it's adult Haley yeah, Joel Osment. Yeah, sure. Yeah, pretend it's Haley Joel Osment. No, he's a bit too fat. No. Um, oh, that's okay. He's got a bed sheet on him. No, pretend. Uh, no, who's? Uh, no, I feel like Haley Joel Osment is good because he's got the same kind of sweet ghost energy to him, and he's yeah? also done the Sixth Sense, so he's been around him. A lot. I was going to say, you can, uh, you can use that experience. Macaulay Culkin. Could you, could you uh, pretend it's Macaulay Culkin? He's no. got a bit of a dirtbag kind of energy. I reckon you can pretend it's. No, I was going to say Wallace. Like, um, what's his brother's name? What about the guy Kieran that? Pl- Culkin, what about the guy you, that you plays kind of can't the guy from Train Spotting? You and McGregor. No, no, but Ra- I'm Rabbit from Train Spotting. Could no. you pretend it's Rabbit from Train Spotting? I reckon you and McGregor. Pretend it's you and McGregor. He's yeah? got that same sort of like tender energy to him. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's done a few too many comedic roles, but you could get away with it. Yeah, pretend it's you and McGregor, but <laughs> Ghost Story. <laughs> I, 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 I firmly like Rooney Mara in. Ghost story is incredible, and I think a lot of the time you're kind of like your POV of the ghost, and Rooney Mara is really who you're watching. So it's right. less about focusing on the character of Casey Affleck. Well, the character of 
The ghost. Casey Affleck. Yeah. No, it's um. You and McGregor. Oh, I'm sorry, you and McGregor. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Idiot. I uh, forgot to yes and. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I know Casey Affleck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is an improv rule they don't really teach you, but a useful one. Um, uh, I think Ghost Story is similar in its tone, in that it's it's it it also does strange things with the framing of the time of the film. Yeah, which is not something that you really think about until, and it's not like centered in the film, but it is quite important to the way it feels and the way you process it once you're done. Yeah. Um, it's very slowly paced. It's very tenderly edited. Um, it's there's so much emotionality, but it's also similarly really dialogue light. Actually, just pretend it's fucking John Magaro under that bedsheet because Aww. he is like perfect casting for the same. He's almost like the ghost. <laughs> perfect in casting for the ghost. He honestly <laughs> is because he it's it feels similar and it's like observational quality, but because he's he has wants and needs, but he doesn't vocalize them. A whole yeah. Way. Honestly, like everyone should go and watch Ghost Story. It's a really lovely film, and I feel like it occupies a similar space in my head to First Cow. I'm gonna watch both of those as like comfort films. Yeah, I'm just gonna try and pretend Casey Affleck's not in one of them. Just you should pretend, pretend he's like not in John both. was in both of them. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, no, I, I know Ghost the Story's be- fucking great. I know the better than worst end segment was my idea, but I've been struggling to come up with c- comparisons for it recently. But I, I, I really do think that. Oh, it's just watch this a- if you liked Minari. Watch this if you liked Ghost Story. It's the same kind of um, heart. Really, truly, it has this film has so much heart. Yeah, and, uh, I feel like we're seeing a real kind of resurgence of that recently. It's not ironic. It's genuine. It's so earnest, and uh, that's very refreshing. Unlike yeah. Nobody, which felt cynical as hell, and it felt so original and so weird and different. Yeah. In a way that I love. I think Kelly Reichardt is like very famous among those kind of smaller indie circles. She's not someone that I'd ever really heard of, but she's much beloved. And this feels like really cracking through into a bit closer to the mainstream. Yeah. But I don't think that she's ever going to be shown in front of like, you know, she's not going to be doing Michael Bay numbers or anything, but like, you know, she's, yeah, this has gotten a lot of good recognition. And I think a lot of her earlier films had a much smaller audience. But I'm keen to go back and check out a lot of the rest of her stuff because she's always been yeah. a bit of a path forger, I think. What do you think about a comparison between uh, First Cow and Shoplifters? In terms of like films with a, a very small, localized. Both got an Asian character in them. <laughs> and that's what I was really going for. Yeah. No, like a very small, localized cast of characters that are people that you don't normally think about in a setting that, for at least our Western view, you never really think about. Mm. Uh, and it kind of teaches you a bit about friendship and family and about the way these people get by and the human inter- and the human connection with people that you'd never really suspect in a, in a, in a way that endears you to the characters. I don't know. I sort of got a similar kind of... Sl- and they're both kind of slow films that have this really interesting sense of tension to them. I think that if you like Shoplifters, you might like First Cow. Sure. So if you like that, if you like... If, if it's a weird, obsc- <laughs> obscure Japanese film. Yeah. But, you yeah, know... Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about films that I've seen recently that I can compare it to in terms of the slow vibe and the, the heartwarming kind of... I reckon... Here's a fucking hot take. If you like Steven Spielberg films, 
you might actually like this because as much as it's slower and less goofy than any of those films, yeah. it, it does really honestly have so much heart. Yeah. If you love genuineness and earnestness and honest emotion, this does that without feeling cheap. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I think if you if you if you like um, films like E.T. Uh, um, e. Honestly, yeah, and and, and and like I haven't seen it, but I heard people yeah. talking about it recently, and they 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 compared it like Hook. There's kind of like almost like children's films. This feels like an adult children's film because it's really honestly telling you this story of like genuine, um, genuine emotional connection between people and honest friendship. But two best friends that just want to make bread together. Yeah, it, literally. And yeah, they're stealing milk, but that's kind of skimmed <laughs> over, and they're stealing milk from a bad guy anyway. So it's not skimmed over. It's the it's the main crux of the story. Well, it's full cream. <laughs> It's not skimmed over at all. Fuck. Is that it? I think we should just call it quits there. We're not going to do any better than that. I'm not doing any better than that. (laughs) I wish I'd done that two hours and five (laughs) minutes earlier. Oh, my God. Because we could have called it there. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Slightly before that. That's our... Maybe two hours. It's a long boy. That's our our episode for the week. Thanks for listening to the app. If you have a movie you want us to talk about, let us know. You can email us. You can join us on the Facebook page. We've got links in the description to all the shit we've been talking about this week. And we've also got a description there that'll tell you what we're doing next episode. Mm. So you can watch along with us. Which, uh, I don't know what the fuck that's going to be. Nah, we'll figure it there's out. There's like nothing out. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. See you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>